You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Well, last month, Raquel threw a, an event for the children's program called The Amazing Grace, which is sort of a play on words with The Amazing Race, the TV show you may be aware of, but also like sort of the spin with the song Amazing Grace. And knowing Raquel, like if Raquel's got an event, there's going to be a ton of stuff that goes into it. You're going to have a good time. So knowing Raquel is like our family, we want to do this. Also working with Raquel, like I want to make sure like I'm supporting what she does. So our family, Christy and I, we talked about it. We're like, yeah, let's sign up for this Amazing Grace. Like we haven't really watched that show. We don't know much about it. We're like, it'll be a fun time for family. So Christy signed us up and then getting closer to the day, it was on a Saturday. And for some reason I thought it was like in the afternoon, but then I found out like day of, like it was Saturday morning, like nine o'clock Saturday morning. And so that sort of changed things. We're like, I want to support Raquel. I know it's gonna be awesome. But like now it's nine o'clock on a Saturday and I am awake. Like, so just, you know, sort of my, my mindset changed for it. And I think you guys get that because you're second service people, right? Like I explained this to first service. And I was like, yeah, I have like the sleeping habits of a middle school boy. And they're like, you're strange. What's the matter with you? But you guys are like, yeah, you're with me. Right. So it was early. So that kind of like affected my attitude, maybe going into this event, but we, we drive our family, like we go and we show up to this event and I am like, I'm Elliot at 9am on a Saturday. Like I, I'm, I'm not happy cause I'm awake, but also like, I'm not moving quickly. Right. Like I, I'm just starting the coffee. Like this is me 9am on a Saturday. But when I showed up, the other families, many of you might have even been there like they showed up like I got out of bed and kind of shuffled there like they were there and they had been like talking about this and going over strategies and I'm like oh we have gotten ourselves into something that we are not ready for so like clue number one this whole thing is a big scavenger hunt and your family is competing against other families for some kind of prize to win and Raquel had put all over town like different QR codes at different locations and you'd have to find this code you'd take a picture of your family there send it to Raquel and then look on the QR code for the next clue. I have some of the pictures that families sent in. They're doing, you know, really great. Some of these families, our family, not so much, but we go, the first clue is out in the middle of like a swinging bridge in Elizabethan. And you have to go out there, get that QR code. And I'm going like, we're in the last of the pack. And this is when I realized like we are into something because some people, and I won't name any names, Abigail Hampton, just are throwing elbows on this bridge, like making their way to their car to be the first one. Small children just about to fall in the water. No regard for them. They were ready to win. So our family, the Gregory family, like we pull out the last of the pack and I quickly realized like we are out of our depth because, and I know like, just, you know, give me some slack. I, I think pastors and their families are supposed to be perfect and have perfect marriages and perfect children. But I will confess this to you. My wife and I have had arguments about directions when we know where we're going. And here we don't even know where we're going. So you can imagine like what that turned into both of us Saturday morning, not happy to be awake. Like that's what begins happening. And my children love them to death. They're great at many great things. But one thing they are not great at is sitting in a car right? Like, and that's what ended up happening for a lot of the time is me and Christy are trying to figure out like, where are we going? Like, they just have to sit in the car. So they're wanting to unbuckle. They're wanting to kick each other there. This is what's happening in our car. And, and we're cruising through like clue number one. We haven't seen anybody. By the time we got to clue number one, the whole pack is gone. We're like, maybe we're ahead of them, but we knew that we were not ahead of them. 
we make our way and finally get to clue number four, which clue number four was about some theater in Elizabethan, and it said like this theater opened in 1926 and it seated this many people. And then it ended with the little clue of like at this BK, you can have it your way. So I Google theater, Elizabethan, open 1926, and I found something that like no longer exists. It was called the Grand Theater. And it opened in 1926, like it was a big deal in its day. They closed it down, tore it down. And that theater in Elizabethan is near where a current Burger King stands. And so I thought like, oh, at this BK, have it your way. That theater was torn down. Like we got to go to this Burger King. So we're at this Burger King and I'm circling this Burger King like forever looking for QR codes. Like we got out and started looking around at the dumpster. And then we started thinking like maybe somebody tore it down. Like we're certain we're in the right spot. I go inside and I talk to the worker, the poor worker at the Burger King. And she's like, can I take your order? And I was like, hey, it was like a lady, a real nice lady here. And she, she put like a clue for like a scavenger. And she just looks at me like, like, I am crazy. And I'm like, so I'm not in the right place. She's like, no, you are not. I'm like, oh, okay. So we did not know what to do. We could not figure out this clue, did not know where to go, knew that we are like way behind the pack. And I've thought about this many times since then, because it's a spot you're going to get yourself into as a father, as an adult in life, where you don't know where to go. And I'm going to blow it out of proportion and turn this into an analogy, right? Because that's what I do as a youth pastor. But I was in a spot where I didn't know what to, where to go. I didn't have the right answers. I didn't know the way forward. And my family is relying upon me. They want to do well and they're following me. And this is a spot that I've been in, in larger issues in life where it's like, man, in life, I don't know the way forward. I don't know the right answer. And my family is relying on me. Where can I find wisdom? And looking at this, I realized like we had a few options. Number one, we could have gone with our gut, which is sort of what we did. That's what we tried for us. Like, I'll go with my gut. Trust your gut. And it ended up putting me at a Burger King, not where I should be, right? I thought about this later. I was like, well, maybe I should have taken a second option. What we should have done is found another group that like had done this before, that did the amazing race last year. And we should have just followed them. We never read a clue. We just go to wherever they're going, follow them and take pictures of it. And maybe that would have gotten us to the right place. But then afterwards, I realized like some people like were just as far off as we were just on different clues. Like some people went to Doe River Gorge when they're supposed to go to a covered bridge. Like it was a whole thing. So that wouldn't have got me to the right place. Another thing we tried, option number three that I think we try in life is to, hey, Siri it, right? And just Google like, hey, like, where do I go? What is this thing? And hope that the internet with all of its wealth of knowledge will take me to the right place. That was option number three. And that didn't do us any good Option number four is one that I really bargained for. Option number four was just to give up and quit. And like we had this conversation in our car, which is saying something because I really try and like teach our kids like we finish things, we start, we're not going to give up. But I'm driving like, hey, listen, guys, like we're not going to win this. We're not having fun. What if we just quit, right? Like what if we'll go through pals, I'll get us milkshakes on the way home. And the kids are like, no, we want to finish this race. I'm like, okay, I guess your dad taught you well at some point in life. That's option number four, just give up, just quit. Ultimately, there was another option. Option number five that I took. When I learned I can't trust my gut, it didn't work to follow other people, the internet led me astray, we weren't gonna give up. Option number five is what I picked and that was to text Raquel which is finally what I did at this Burger King. After like half an hour, I texted her and I said, hey, should I be at a Burger King in Elizabethan? And she texted back and said, LOL, which means you big dummy, go to this place. And she said, go to the Bonnie Kate Theater, 
which I'd never heard of, but I guess like as a theater you would know of if you knew things and grew up around here. And so we go to the Bonnie Kate Theater, we find that clue, and, and finally we get our race like back going. But we took the option of contacting the creator. Talk to the person who made the race. There was no wisdom in my own decisions. There's no wisdom that we could find with other people. There wasn't wisdom in the internet. There wasn't wisdom in giving up. We had to contact the creator. You see where we're going this morning? As we open up Psalm 36, if you've got your Bible, you can open up Psalm 36. It's all about where we can find wisdom. When you get to that place in life where you don't know the right path forward, how do you find wisdom? Do you look to other people? Do you look to yourself? What are you going to do to find wisdom? In Psalm 36, as we're in this, Psalm 36, when you open it, it could be kind of identified different ways. We could put it in several categories. It's definitely a praise psalm. It talks a lot about God and how great he is. But it's also a little bit of a lament because it sort of laments and mourns wickedness in the first part. But overall, the big concept it's dealing with is where do we find wisdom? And it lays out some of our options. So let's look at Psalm 36, written by King David, a very wise man. We read a lot of his psalms and his wisdom, and we see he had a great, strong relationship with God, and he did make some mistakes, but there's a lot to be learned from him. And so he starts out and he says this in verse one. It says, transgression or sin or evil speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There's no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Now this, these verses paint a picture of the worst kind of person. Verse one says, wickedness speaks to him. It's talking about wickedness, like maybe your favorite song. You ever had a song that just like speaks to you? You put that on the radio, like you can go to a place. It's saying wickedness speaks to this kind of person like that. Verse two says, he, he flatters himself on how terrible he is. So this guy's using a lot of terms like, like business savvy, which we use are like, are cunning, very cunning words that we use to say like probably dishonest, but admirable if that's what you're into, right? Like this guy uses that. So use the term a lot like what they don't know can't hurt them. So I'm just gonna do what I'm gonna do and succeed in this way. Verse three says he's always stirring up trouble that his mouth is filled with deceit. He's, he's spreading rumors about people. He's just like messing with stuff, trying to get trouble stirred up. Verse four says he's in his bed. Instead of counting sheep, he's dreaming up new ways to do evil the worst kind of person. This is the kind of person that doesn't return the shopping cart, right? This is the kind of person that has the giant vehicle and they have no consideration for like whether they're gonna be across three spots, right? This is the kind of person that the baby drops the pacifier, they don't return it to the mom, they pick it up and they keep it, right? That's who this Psalm is talking about. And the apostle Paul, if we were to look in the New Testament, he calls people like this, the unrighteous or the ungodly. And he spends time talking about them in Romans chapter one. If you look at that verse 29, he says, they, the unrighteous, the ungodly, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, just like the guy we read about in the Psalm disobedient to parents, foolish, faithful, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. 
So we read about this kind of person in the New Testament. We read about it in Psalm 36. And as you're reading this, you might start to think, I know that guy. I work in the office next to that person or that I dated them. Like that's my ex or that person is running for president right now. Like I know they're talking about, this is our reaction when we start reading these verses, right? We want to start putting it on other people. But if we go back to Romans, if we just turn the page, Paul finishes up talking about the unrighteous, the ungodly. And then the very next page, next sentence, verse two, one, he says, therefore you have no excuse, oh man, every one of you who judges. And we're just judging those people saying, oh, that's them, right? For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Paul doesn't let us take these verses and apply them to other people. He says we have to apply it to ourselves. We have to realize where in these parts of, of evil, where in these parts of wickedness, where am I? Where is that me? So instead of saying like, oh, those people do these things, we need to begin to ask the question, where is it that sin speaks to me? Like it speaks to a wicked person. Where do I flatter myself in my own eyes? Where do I think they'll never find this out? I can get away with that evil because it won't be found out. Where are my words troubling? Where are my words deceitful? Where am I stirring up rumors? And what is the evil that I have stopped rejecting? We have to find ourselves in this. We have to allow ourselves to be a little bit uncomfortable to be real with this passage. And so that is what is laid out for us is the wicked person who we often are, as Paul said, because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And so how do I find wisdom? When I see that the world is full of wickedness, when I realize like I am often wicked, how do I find wisdom? Well, there's a little key right here in, in Psalm 36.1 that we kind of breezed by, but I want to highlight it again. It's talking about the wicked person and it says, there is no fear of God before his eyes. Now that might peek up some ideas for you in some other wisdom books we have in the Bible. If you think of other wisdom books, like the book of Proverbs is a huge one, right? And a key in the book of Proverbs is this constant idea of the fear of God. In fact, Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So right here, we're told that this wicked person, sometimes even us, it says that there's no fear of God before his eyes, that he's not afraid. He has no fear of God, no concept of God, which is, it's a difficult concept, this phrase, the fear of God, and it appears often in the scriptures. And so we have to kind of understand it. It can be confusing, you know, it can be confusing if you've heard it a long time. Like if you grew up in church, we hear the fear of the Lord and we have an idea, but do we really understand that idea? And then if you're new to church, you're like, fear God. Like, isn't that the one we were just singing praises to? And now I'm supposed to fear him. The best way I've had this concept explained to me is you approach the fear of God in the same way that you might approach or interact with like climbing on top of a cliff. And if you're on top of like a steep cliff, that could be dangerous to you if you fell off. Like you're not gonna scream and run away from that cliff, but you know there's something to be afraid of here. There's a lot of beauty to behold. There's a lot of majesty there. But if I interact with this cliff in the wrong way, I get too close to the edge or run around like horseplay on it, like I'm gonna go over this cliff and I'm gonna die. And so there should be a, a healthy fear of the edge of that cliff. 
We saw this a little bit back at Centrifuge when I took the youth group in uh, July or whenever it was to Centrifuge. And we went to this place called Bald Rock. I, I've got some pictures of it. This wasn't far from the camp and we go up to this place. It's a beautiful outcropping with just a huge view. And it, it's not crazy dangerous. Like it's not so much a cliff, but there's some areas that like it gets pretty steep. There's a bit of a drop off. And if you were, you know, not careful about how you're going about it, like you're going to just start rolling and keep going. And like, I don't know what we're going to do, you know. So this is in our brain, the youth leaders, as we're watching the students go up and some of them would like be in awe and they'd kind of slow down and be like, whoa, like and start looking around at where they are. But others we're just teenagers and just taking off running. And you're like, hey, you need to like, be you trip and fall. Like, we're not getting you up out of here. Like there needed to be a little bit of fear in them. And some of them we felt like didn't have enough of that fear, right? Like, in fact, one student, I'll, I'll point him out, Isaiah Carell, because he reminded me of this Wednesday. Like we had a moment where like, we're just going to take a moment and like have some quiet, be on top of this mountain. Isaiah fell asleep. Like then sort of a steep area too, where like, and he's just asleep. Like he rolls over in the sleep, like he's going to keep rolling. But that's how comfortable he got. And we're like, maybe we wish he had a little more fear there of that. And that's a bit of this concept of the fear of God is realizing like God is huge and I am not. God created me and so he can uncreate me. We don't have to like run away scared from him, but we do need to stand in awe and respect of him and understand the power that we are in the presence of and what that means for us. That is the beginning of wisdom. That concept of seeing God for who he is, fearing God, that is where wisdom starts because then I'm putting myself in relationship to him. I see him for who he is, helps me see me for who I am. When I see his light, I see my darkness. When I see how huge he is, I see how small that I am. It's like when you get a pair of shoes and you wear them for a while and you don't realize that they've gotten like old and worn out, but then you pass the shoe store and see your shoes in the window and you're like, oh, like, man, my shoes are old. And you didn't realize then. It's a little bit that way when we compare ourselves to God. We don't realize how raggedy we are until we see how pure and holy God is. It's like when you think like you've been swimming and you think your swimsuit has dried out. And so you're like, I don't need to change before I drive home. And then you get off of the actually dry car seat and it's no longer dry. And you're like, I did not realize how wet I was when I got into this dry car. It's the same thing with God. We don't realize how sinful we are, how imperfect we are until we are in his perfect presence. And with that, there is, there's respect, there is awe. So that's where the fear of God comes. And that we are told is the beginning of wisdom. But the wicked person and ourselves all too often, we have no fear of God. And we think my way is the best way. We stop seeing God and we focus on our self. And our self begins to look good, begins to look right. And we become convinced that our way is the way because it's all that we are seeing. But we have to put ourselves in the presence of God to be reminded that there is a better way, that there is a bigger God. So then the next part of this Psalm, David begins to explain to us who God is. So he's described the wicked person. He's described the wrong way to go about things, but then he goes in to describe God in verse five. And he says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains of God, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life and in your light we see 
light. Now, there's a word here I have to point out because we're reading this in English and we know the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So there's a word that if you spoke Hebrew, we're looking at this in Hebrew, would stand out to you that in our English transition, translations don't really stand out as much. And it's the word that is translated, depending on your translation, either like love or steadfast love or maybe loving kindness. Um, there's three verses this appears in, verse 5, 7, and 10. You'll see this word. And the King James Version uses mercy in verse 5, but then loving kindness in verses 7 and verse 10. But it's the same word in the Hebrew. The NIV, if you're reading that, uses love in verse 5, and then verse 7, unfailing love, and then verse 10, love once again. Then the ESV, what I read it to you from, is steadfast love in all three verses. But all of those words are just one word in Hebrew, and the word is chesed. You kind of got to get the little ch in there, chesed. And so that's the Hebrew word for love right here that we're using. And so KJV is going to say mercy or loving kindness. You're going to hear steadfast love. You're going to hear unending love, like those kind of things. All of these words will go to describe this one word because our language doesn't come close to really capturing what that concept is. It's this idea of love that does not stop. It's this idea of kindness that continues. It's this idea of loyalty of being with someone through thick and thin, whether or not they deserve it, that is chesed. That is this loyal love that the author is using to describe God three times in these verses. It's the word, if you went to the book of Ruth, remember Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, both of her sons die. One was Ruth's husband and there's a famine in the land. And Ruth is left with the decision, like I could go make a new life for myself or I could stay and help out Naomi. Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi. And she is said to have this type of love, chesed, that loyal love. That is what we're talking about. It's a word God uses to describe himself in Exodus to Moses the second time God had to write out the Ten Commandments. Because the first time Moses threw a hissy fit when he watched Israel's disobedience bound down to a golden calf and he smashes the Ten Commandments and he has to go back up the hill and God's going to rewrite them. And you're just waiting for God to be like, I did this once, like I'm done with you guys. But instead, here's what it says. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a, merc a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, chesed and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. That's what we're reminded about God. We're reminded that his love is loyal. It will not fail you. That wickedness, wicked people, it can only go so far, but God's loyal, unfailing, steadfast love, his kindness reaches to the heavens. That he is greater, more mysterious and unsearchable than the deep, than the darkest parts of the ocean that even today we still have not explored. David is saying that God's love extends higher than we can reach. It is bigger than we can understand. And if it begins to get too far off and too abstract for you, then he reminds us in verse 7 that we, humanity, gets to take refuge in the shadow of his wing. So when it gets so big, we're like, oh, that God is too awesome for me. We're reminded that we can creep in right under his wing like a mother hen shelters her chickens. That's us with God. We need to be right there in his protection, cozy, intimate with this great God. That he gives us food, that he's prepared a place for us. All of these things, we get to feast on the abundance of his house. This God who is huge, unimaginable, and yet we can be close to him. We can be with him. This is the comparison made between wickedness and wicked people and God and his righteousness. 
So we're put in a position of like, hey, which do you want? If you're looking for the way to go, like which are you going to rely on? The, the word of wicked people, the example of wicked people, your own wicked thoughts, or God who is unsearchable, unfathomable, and also crazy, loyally loving to you. Which are you going to pick? And the, the obvious choice is that we should pick God. When we don't know where to go, we shouldn't take the options I talked about of trust your gut or, or follow other people or look it up on the internet. Instead, we should trust God and seek his wisdom. As Psalm 36, 9 says, in his light, we find light. I love that verse right there, Psalm 36, 9. This is like the key of this Psalm. Easy to memorize, super like beautiful. It says, for with you is the fountain of life. We know that in God, we find life. All the things that wickedness is chasing, all the things our world says that we're going to find life in these places, it's not true. We're going to find it in God. That life that was provided for us physically, he created us. In his life, we find life, but also spiritually. Jesus was our fountain of life, our source of life spiritually when he died upon the cross, giving up his life so that we wouldn't have to die. So then said our wickedness, all the things we talked about in those early verses, so those things could be wiped away. We could be forgiven of that and not pay the punishment of eternal death because of those things, but instead have the river of life pouring out for us because of Jesus's actions on the cross. And in that light, we see light. Light often used, like think of cartoons and somebody has an idea, boop. Light is knowledge, right? Enlightenment, wisdom, all represented in light. And we're saying it is from God's knowledge that we get knowledge. It's from seeing his light shine on something that we can see light. It's from God's goodness that we can know goodness. It's from God's love that we can know what love is. In his light, we see light. You might be reminded of that first chapter in John, the book of John, as he talks about Jesus coming to the earth. And he says, in him was life and the life was light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. By Jesus, by that light, we see light. By God, we get wisdom. So then how do we tap into that wisdom? These last verses of Psalm 36 help us see that. It talks about pushing away the things that are wrong and trying to gather closer to God. It says, oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. He's saying, let's push away wicked and let's gather near to God. If we were to take all of this back to our idea, and I, I said earlier, I'm like, all right, you don't know where to go. You have several options. I named five of them. Well, here's some other ways, some other steps that we could take that fifth option, which was contacting the creator, right? Like how do we know the creator better? How do we find his wisdom better? First, we have to have less of us, right? We need less of us because we know our tendency is to those first five or six verses talking about the evil people. So I need less of trust my gut and more of God, right? I need to rely on me and my wisdom and my power less. It's the prayer that John the Baptist had in John 3.30, that he, that God must increase and I must decrease. There's got to be less Elliot, more God. That's how I'm going to tap into wisdom. That's how I can figure out the right way to go. 
And then also, second, we need less of the other voices, right? We need less of the voices of the world. People that maybe they've done this before and they think they have the right way of it, but they're not close to God. We need less of those voices. And I'm not going to go through and be like, here's where you're going to find those voices on this thing, this other thing. Like, you're going to know. You're going to know the voices, the, the lives of people that are not close to God. You're going to be able to identify that. First Corinthians 2.14, Paul tells us this, the natural person, the sinful person, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to, entrust, to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. He's talking about how we, because we have a relationship with Jesus, or if you have a relationship with Jesus and have opened up your life to him, given your sins over to him, you allow the Holy Spirit to invade your life. In the same way we saw happen at Pentecost when tongues of fire came and settled upon the believers, we get the Holy Spirit within us. And so we now not just have a connection with God, we have God in us. And so should we listen to the voices of the world, the voices of folly? No, because we have a direct connection to our Savior to find wisdom in the right way to go. So we need less of us, less of the world, and obviously, number three, more of Jesus. We need more time in the shadow of the wing of our Creator. We need more time on that cliff face that may feel a little intimidating, a little scary, but it's beautiful and it's awe-inspiring. And we know it is a good place to be. We need more of that in our lives. And I love that we talked about the Lectio app because that's one of many ways that you can connect with God. And it's something that encourages you to do it daily. And there is so much like goodness, like it's kind of fallen out of favor to talk about like having a quiet time or maybe a Bible time and, and trying to do it daily. Like, cause some people you might've grown up where it's like, you're not a Christian, you're not reading your Bible like every day. I'm not saying that, but also there's a point here that like daily may not even be enough. We need to be constantly connected with God. And so we have to constantly draw near to him and be under the shadow of, of his wing so that we can discern wisdom, so that we can know how to talk to him and see the right way forward. Because I had a relationship with Raquel, I go to work with her, like see her every week, it was way easier to text her. She's like in my favorites, like I could get it there quick and text her fast. And because she knows me, Later on, like I didn't have to text Raquel and say, hey, we're stuck on another clue. She just started feeding us clues. Like she saw how far behind my family was. And she's like, just go to the dinosaur park. Like skip these other two, go to, that's the end. Like you're not gonna win, go there. She started helping us. When I didn't even realize I needed wisdom, wisdom started coming to me from the creator because I had a relationship with her. And the same is true for us with Jesus. You've got to work on your relationship with Jesus pushing others away, not relying on your own wisdom, but seeking out his wisdom and harvesting that relationship so that when you get to those times where you're like, I don't know the answer. I don't know the way forward. Well, you do know wisdom and the creator of wisdom. And by his light, you will see light. You will find the way to go.